You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Well, I am excited. Um, mostly because last week we took a break from what we were talking about for a while, which was seeing Jesus. Um, and we just took a break to talk about fathers and I just had fun last week. Did you have fun? I enjoyed it. Um, and one of the things about that is I was uh, talking with my coworker about it. We were just talking about, uh, you know, church, what's taught, what's shared. And anyways, one of the things that came up was we were talking about, you know, the importance of seeing Jesus is that you're transformed. Whatever you see, you're transformed into. And so for me, um, I'll just be vulnerable this morning, transparent. She's not in here. And my mom's not in here to give me the eye, like, stop it. So me and Christina had a little bit of an argument uh, later earlier last week. And so I had this moment where, you know, I walked away, I went to my office and I sat down and I opened my Bible and hold on one moment. Good morning. How are we doing? How are we doing? It's good to see you. It's good to see you. I don't believe we've met. I'm just going to pause this for a moment. How are you, sir? It's good to see you, sir. And beloved, you are beautiful. I love the yellow. And this is my mom, everyone, in case you don't know, high five. <laughs> How are you, sir? How are you? Hey. Good to see you, sir. No, 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 no. So, where were we? Argument. Sorry? Argument. Oh, you went straight to my marital problems. That's what you went to. <laughs> no. So... Anyways, yeah, so anyways, me and my wife, we had a, a bit, bit of a disagreement, uh, since that's what you want to know more about. <laughs> no, we had a little bit of a disagreement, and I had a moment, I went back to my office, uh, I, you know, played with Parker, and we try to be very careful that Parker doesn't get caught in the crosshairs. So, you know, if we have an argument, we grab him, we hug him, we play with him as if nothing happened. Uh, but anyways, I went to my office, and I had a moment, I just sat down, and the, the problem, but the solution, the problem is I have too much Jesus stuff in my office. So I went in there and I thought, I don't want to talk to Jesus right now. <laughs> she got on my nerves. Uh, but I had this moment where, again, you know, you, you, you see a verse, you see something and you just you're reminded of God's love for you. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Put Jesus loves me on, on your phone. Put Jesus loves me on a piece of paper in your car. Put it everywhere. Because in that moment when you receive the love that God has for you, it's hard to stay mad. It's hard to hold a grudge when you know that he loves you for all that you have done in spite of you. So anyways, I had this moment where uh, it took me a little while, but I finally gave in and I was like, okay, Lord, you love me. And it was just like, it's not a condemning love. It's a love that just reminds you, hey, I love you. I love you. Yes, you yelled at her. Yes, she yelled at you. But guess what? I love you and I love her too. And that love that he had for me transformed me in just a few moments. I got back up and the fight was over as far as I was concerned. And it's easier to let go of things. But what you see is that it's easier to be transformed when you're not looking at yourself. It's harder to be transformed when you're looking at that person. It's harder to be transformed when you look at yourself. But for me and Christina, I, again, like I said, I had this moment where the love of God could transform me. And it was one of those things I was, I was sharing with my coworker. And it's not just something that sounds good on Sunday. It's something that feels good on Monday. And you feel it. You feel the love of God on Monday. And it can transform you on Monday as well. So again, what we're sharing, we're not just saying, hey, this is cool information. What we're saying is, hey, look, this can get down into every crack and crevice of our life. 
And if it does, I think we're better for it. So I love seeing Jesus. Are you ready for the message? So we're going to dive into it. But before we do, do you have your Bible? I know I always have all the verses on the screen this morning. If you don't, don't worry. We're actually not going to. I didn't put this verse on the screen, but I just want to show you real fast. Luke chapter 24. This has been our foundational text for this little series that we've been doing, Seeing Jesus. And it's in Luke 24. Jesus has been resurrected and we're not going to read the whole thing. But this is where we're going to take off from, if that's all right. Don't forget, Jesus has been resurrected. Luke 24. And what happens is this. Jesus is... Um, sorry, my mind's been blank. Jesus has been resurrected and it's Sunday morning and two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. One's name is Cleopas. We don't know the other one, but suffice to say they were followers of Jesus, not part of the original 12. And as they're on their way, leaving Jerusalem on a seven mile walk to Emmaus, somebody comes up behind them and starts walking with them. And who is that person? Jesus. Now I shared this a couple weeks ago. I don't want to get lost in this because I have a lot to share and I'm excited about it. So I'm going to try not to talk fast. But what happens is this, as they were talking about what happened to Jesus, Jesus shows up. And I shared a couple of weeks ago, it's amazing how you go to certain places and people, you know, they, they want Jesus to show up, but they don't want to talk about him. And I'm a firm believer, talk about Jesus, Jesus will show up. So I want Jesus to be in our services, let's talk about Jesus. So they talk about him, Jesus shows up, and the funny thing is one of them says, well, you know, Jesus... They don't know it's Jesus, but they say, we thought Jesus was the Messiah. We thought he was the promised one. We thought he would be the one, but he's dead. So clearly he couldn't have been the one. And Jesus says to them, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke of. And he went on to say, should not the Christ have suffered everything that he went through and entered into his glory? And then we pick up with the very next verse that says this. Where is that verse at? And they behold two of them. Uh, And he said these things. Certain chief priests, and he said, here it is, verse 27. It says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Luke 24, 27, beginning at Moses. Can you say Moses? Moses. We're going to go back to Moses in just a second. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, I don't know how long it takes to walk seven miles, but Jesus started at Moses and went all the way through the prophets and talked about everything that concerned himself. The best Bible study on earth. When Jesus opens the Bible himself. Now, the beauty of that is this. What we're going to see this morning is we're going to go back to Moses. All right. And I'm going to show you some of the things I believe Jesus probably would have pointed out. Uh, But anyways, regardless, I'm going to show you some beautiful pictures of Jesus. And uh, as we see him, may we all be transformed. So are you ready for the word? Oh, man, I'm ready. I can't wait. I have waited so long to share this message. But there are no pictures. So I apologize. So are you ready? Let's dive in. Now, When you go back to Moses, one thing you see about Moses is this. In Exodus chapter 20, God gave the Ten Commandments. All right? I don't think we need a lesson on that. Thou shall not, thou shall not. The very first commandment, thou shall have no other gods before me. Right? And then the interesting thing is this. In Exodus chapter 20, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. As soon as Moses comes down the mountain, 40 days later, the first commandment said, you shall have no other gods before me. All of a sudden, they have another God before them. (laughs) All right? Showing us that if you try to be right by the law, if you try to be right by what you've done, you'll break the first one. So let's not focus on the do's and don'ts. Let's focus on seeing. Is that okay? Yes. All right, cool. So in Exodus 20, God says this. Hey, look, these are the Ten Commandments. And then he starts giving more laws. And we come to Exodus chapter 20. Now, I want you to see the, the context of God giving the law before we move on. In Exodus 20, verse 18, 
It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Now watch this. God descends on Mount Sinai. And when God descends on Mount Sinai, Jesus hasn't died yet. But before he descends, he he tells Moses, he says, Moses, tell the people if they will continue in the covenant I gave them, if they'll continue in the covenant that they have right now, which actually was not a covenant with them. It was a covenant with their great, great, great grandfather, Abraham. God cut a covenant with someone long before them. And when God cut that covenant with Abraham, God told Abraham, listen, Abraham, your people will go in your, your, your descendants. They will go into captivity. They will be in bondage in Egypt. But don't worry, I will bring them out with a mighty hand and I will bring them back to this land that will flow with abundance. And Abraham said, OK, great. And he and God cut a covenant together and God was now bound to his word to Abraham. Are you still with me now? Fast forward. All of a sudden, God is at Mount Sinai with Moses and he says, Moses, tell them to continue in the covenant I made with their great, great, great grandfather, Abraham. But when Moses brought that to the people or probably to the elders, all the people collectively said to Moses, Moses, tell God all he can ask of us. We will do tell God all that he can command of us. We are able to do it and we will do it. And the very next verse, God says, Moses, tell the people to stand back. If anyone touches the mountain, they'll be shot through with an arrow. Even if their animal touches it, they'll be killed. What happened? (laughs) What about this wonderful covenant that had nothing to do with them, but everything to do with Abraham? What happened? If you understand right there in the Hebrew, God was saying, continue in a covenant that has nothing to do with you. Stay in the covenant that I made with someone else. Are you with me? And for all of us, who is that covenant with? Jesus. And what he's saying is this, don't abandon that covenant of grace that had nothing to do with you. You are the beneficiary of a covenant that had nothing to do with you. And then they came to him and said, give us something to do. In effect, God, give us something to do so we can play a part. That's just like our flesh. God, reward me because I've been good. Bless me because I've been good. Heal me because I've been good. And all of a sudden God says, you want something to do? Fine. Tell them, don't even come close to me. You want something to do? You shall not, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Oh, and by the way, if you break one, death. You want something to do? There you go. And now they were bound for the next 1,500 years to the law. But God's heart was never in giving the law. Now, when God descended on Mount Sinai, the Bible says that the mountain burnt with God's fire, his wrath, a thick cloud of darkness. In fact, let me show you. Watch this. They, they witnessed the thunderings, God's voice. They heard his voice, but it sounded like thunder. They witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. Watch this. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Now, in the Old Testament, let's make people afraid so they won't sin. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Let me scare the sin out of you. Aren't you glad that in Romans, the first doctrinal book of the New Testament, Paul says it's not the fear of God, but it's the goodness of God that causes people to repent. Are you with me? We tried fear. Fear didn't work. So let's try God's goodness and let's see if that will cause people to change their mind. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. When God was angry, there was darkness all around him and people were terrified. So let's fast forward. Now, after that, God tells Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to come up by yourself. They don't want to come. Then Moses, you come. You separate yourself from the people and I'll give you the Ten Commandments. I'll give you the two stone tablets with thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And then you can go back and give it to the people. Now, let me ask you, how long does it take to go somewhere, get something and come back? 
All right. And then we're not talking about he had to travel 10 miles to the mountain. The, they were all camped at the bottom of the mountain. Now, I went to we were at uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, which was pretty high. I mean, that's a pretty high mountain. And there's, they have a lot of young kids, youth groups that come and they walk up the mountain. They like to hike up the Mount of Transfiguration, probably like Jesus would have. Right. Now, let me say this. That would be a day trip for me there and back. It wasn't that hot. But I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> I give Moses the benefit of the doubt. Let's say it took Moses a day to get up and a day to get back. How long is that? Two days. Moses went up the mountain, Mount Sinai, to get two stone tablets. He was gone for 40 days. What in the world was going on for 40 days? Now watch this. It says the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire. Say consuming. Consuming. Mm, The glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I'm going to show you why 40 days and 40 nights is so significant in just a moment. But keep in mind, consuming fire. When they saw God, he was like a consuming fire. You know, the last time, uh, not the last time, but fast forward a couple years, when Elijah was on top of Mount Carmel, and I think you're going to Mount Carmel next year, right? If you go to Israel next year, you'll be on Mount Carmel. At Mount Carmel, Elijah presented a sacrifice, and he said this to the, to the prophets of Baal. You offer a sacrifice, and if your God sends fire, not consume, if he sends fire, he's the right one, right? But if my God sends fire, not consume, just sends fire, my God is the right one. Are you with me? When God responded to Elijah's offering, what happened to the offering? It was consumed. And not just the offering, the whole altar and the water that was around it, everything was gone. He had this beautiful altar. God sends fires down. When the fire disappears, there's nothing left. (laughs) The fire consumed everything. Now, fire in the Bible speaks of God's judgment. It always speaks of God's judgment. In the book of Revelation, God will not destroy the world with water anymore. Next time, he'll do it with fire. It speaks of God's judgment. And right here, the glory of the Lord for them was consuming fire that would consume. But you know, when Jesus hung on the cross, you know what happened? He cried out, I thirst. The Bible says in John, knowing that everything had been completed, he cried out, I thirst. Showing us what? That the fire had fallen on him. But instead of Jesus being consumed, he satisfied the fire of God's judgment. And now there's no more fire for us. Are you with me? I'm not saying there's no more fire in God. There is fire for people who are not in Christ. But in Christ, there is no more fire for us. In Isaiah 54, he says this. God says, I swear to you, I swear to you, I will never be angry with you, nor will I ever rebuke you again. The mountains shall be, the hills shall be removed, shaken. The mountains shall be shaken. The hills shall be removed, says the Lord. But my covenant of peace and kindness will never be taken away from you. Oh, man. In Christ, God has sworn I'll never be angry with you. They saw consuming fire for us. We don't see fire anymore. We see the heart of someone who loves us. Now, watch this. Moses goes into the midst of the cloud. He was there for 40 days, 40 nights. You know that 40 speaks of a generation? You know that? It speaks of a generation. I can show you examples of that. But suffice to say this. If you want to know what's in a person's heart, all you have to do is listen to them. That's it. You want to know what's in a person's heart? Just listen. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. Someone might try to be intentional with their words, but if you listen long enough, they're bound to say what's really bothering them. They're bound to say what's really in their heart. All right, a lot of times, and I, I try to take that as my example, when I have problems with somebody, anybody, I always try to say, okay, Matthew, be intentional. Don't talk a lot. See what they say. And they might say, well, you know, this and that. And they might try to cover it up. But eventually it's going to come out because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you want to know what's in someone's heart? Just listen. You want to know what's in God's heart? Just listen. Just listen. 
Moses goes up there to receive tablets. He spends 40 days. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you what happened and I'm going to show you what happened. God found someone he could talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus to. And God wouldn't stop. Can we say this? He wouldn't shut up. (laughs) You want to hear about my son? And it took him 40 days to talk about it. (laughs) 40 days. Now, listen, you'll see everything God said over seven chapters. And it starts in chapter 25. This is the end of chapter 24. In chapter 25, God starts talking about his son. And God goes on for seven straight chapters. And then Moses comes down the mountain. Now, if you have your Bible, you can find it. But when Moses comes down the mountain, the Bible says the people were celebrating. They were dancing. They were worshiping the golden idol. He breaks the Ten Commandments. He, uh, 3,000 people die that day. The letter kills. 3,000 people die that day. When he goes back up the mountain, God says, oh, great, you're back. 40 more days. <laughs> He talks to him about Jesus again. 40 more days. God loves to talk about Jesus. And let me say this. If you or if you have ears to hear, hear. That's why I say all the time, listen, if you have a problem, you go to the Lord and it doesn't seem like the Lord is talking to you about your problem. Just listen. Chances are he wants to show you his son because Jesus is the answer all of us need. When it's all said and done, he's the answer you need. Just let me talk about Jesus to you and I'll take care of the rest. You'll be transformed while you listen. Are you ready? Oh, man. I haven't started yet. I have started, but I'm excited. So here we go. Exodus 24. Now we're going to pick up. I'm not going to talk about every single thing God talked about. We'd be here for 40 days. Don't worry. There's time. (laughs) Don't worry. There's time. But we're going to pick up and look at some of the things that God says. Now, when you pick up in Exodus 25, verse 1, the very next verse, Exodus 25, verse 1. And if you are taking notes or if you have your Bible open, we're going to stay in Exodus 25. I'll branch out, go a few other places. But Exodus 25 is our main focus. Okay. Now, in Exodus 25, verse 1, it says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. Now, I put that in gold because I want you to see something. God is saying, I don't want anyone to give to me because they feel obligated to. I don't want anyone to give to me because their neighbor gave to me. I want you to give to me because you want to give to me. Now, at that point, they just saw thunder, lightning. They saw the anger. They saw the wrath, the fury. It's hard to say, God, I want to give to you because you love me. All right? I'm giving to you because I saw how angry you were. Right? But God is saying, look, I don't want anyone to give apart from their heart. Now, at the same time, keep in mind, God is showing everything that he's talking to about them. He wants from them. He's showing that his son would come and do for all of us. Jesus did not come and die for us because he had no choice. Jesus died for us because from his heart he wanted to. Are you with me? Now, let's keep going. Verse three. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, bronze. Now, he goes on to say blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair. I didn't want to get lost in all the different things. But let me say this. Everything is put here for a reason. Would you like to see the gospel story in gold, silver, bronze? Would you like to? Because everything speaks of Jesus. Jesus on the road to Emmaus probably would have said things like this. So gold, silver, bronze. What do you see? Gold speaks of God's righteousness. Silver speaks of redemption. The price for buying someone, silver. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of? When Joseph was sold into slavery, they sold him for 20. I'm sorry, Jesus was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Joseph was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Silver speaks of redemption. You redeem your firstborn instead of giving your child to God. God says bring silver and you'll redeem your firstborn. All right? Gold, silver, bronze. Silver speaks of redemption. When it comes to bronze, bronze always speaks of God's judgment. Always speaks of judgment. So what do you see? In order to save us, his righteousness, redemption, bronze. To make us righteous, he had to redeem us through judgment. Are you with me? To make you righteous, he had to redeem you through judgment. 
And right there, you see gold, silver, bronze. I mean, everything, everything. And then we could go through the blue, the purple, the scarlet, the fine linen, the goat's hair. Blue speaks of grace. Purple speaks of royalty, kingship. Scarlet thread is red. Scarlet is the color red. Red speaks of blood. Fine linen was always white. And goat's hair is what they covered the people with. When you see blue, you see grace. Grace, the royalty. All right, grace, royalty, blood. The gracious king shed his blood to purify us. And goat's hair is what they covered the tabernacle with. To cover us. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, we could do this all day, but we won't because that'll take up 40 more days. So you see blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair again. The gracious blue king, purple, shed his scarlet blood to purify us and cover us, goat's hair. Everything points to Jesus. And see, the problem was when I was a kid, no one told me this. So I read this and I thought, okay, skip to the next story. Where's the next story? (laughs) But look, everything is here to show us something. God was hiding all of this. The Bible says in Proverbs, it's the glory of God to conceal something. So how did God conceal this? He put gold, silver, bronze. It's concealed. He put blue, purple, scarlet threads, fine linen, goat's hair. He concealed it. But then the very next statement is this. It's the glory of kings, you, me, to search out what God has hidden. When we search it out, you become glorious. Are you with me? Oh, man. I love this. <laughs> so purple. Now, we're not going to read. We'll read through it, but I don't want to get lost in all of this, okay? Verse 5, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood. God says they're to bring all these things for the temple. Oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, for the sweet incense, onyx stones, stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And then he comes to verse 8, he says this, And let them make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell among them. Everything I want them to bring is so that I can live among them. Now, what's the point? You live in a tent, I live in a tent with you. But if I'm going to live in a tent with you, I want to have these things in my house. And he said, well, God, why do you want those? We don't have those things. You're right. When you see my house, I want you to see that I am living with you, but I'm living better than you. So that when you look at me, I can transform you into the image of me that you see. Are you with me? It's like today, God is here with us in this hotel room. I believe that with all my heart. God is with us in this hotel room. And as we look at him, we look at him. Everyone that's looking at him, he's saying, hey, look at how healthy I am. Look at how whole I am. Look at how prosperous I am. Look at how glorious I am. And then when you walk out of here, while we're looking at him, he right now is transforming everyone in this room by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's turning you into the image of him that you see. So when you see the gold, he says, let me find gold and let me bring gold into your life. Let me make you let me make you a magnet for gold in the world. When you see silver, let me make you a magnet for silver. When you see bronze, let me make bronze so, so, so lavish like, like Solomon. They didn't have any bronze in, the, in his temple, in his palace. He changed everything bronze and made it into gold. And I, mean, I mean, you go on and say everything that God is doing, everything you're seeing, the Holy Spirit is transforming you while the word goes forth. So we're here to see Jesus. And all of it, why? So that I can live among you. I don't want to live among you like you are living. I want to live among you better than you. So that you will always be better. Are you with me? All right. So let's fast forward. He wants to live among us. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let me say this. He dwelt among them physically. They had the shadow. Dwelling in your hearts through faith, that is the substance. Well, Matthew, I can't hold it. You're right. Faith is the substance. The law was the shadow. Faith is the substance. You see, to come to God, they had to go to a physical location. Now the substance, he's always with you through faith. That you being rooted and grounded where? 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ. When you see the tabernacle of Moses, when you see all those things, the gold, silver, bronze, when you see the curtains and, and, and the blue and the fine linen, and the, when you see all that stuff, God was trying to show them something. This is really my love for you. But I bet 500, they probably didn't even see the love of God in all of those things. They, some of them might have, but not all of them did. And yet he's saying now that Christ is here, now that the law, the tutor is gone, now that the teacher is here, faith, know this, it was all there, it's all there, and it's in, he's in your heart so that you will know how much he loves you. The reason for all those things is so that you may know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How are you filled with all the fullness God has when you know that God loves you? When you focus on God's love for you, you are filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus was filled with the fullness of God. Jesus was filled. I mean, come on. He was 100% man, but he didn't act like a man. No man could walk on water. When he calmed the storm, they said to each other, even the winds and sea, what kind of man is this? That even the wind and sea obey him. Notice they didn't say, what kind of God is this? They said, what kind of man is this? Because they knew he was man. He ate with them. He slept with them. I mean, he did everything like a man does. He probably snored because he was a man, right? (laughs) He was a man. And yet, even though he was a man, they said, what kind of man is this? Because it's very possible to be a man and be filled with all the fullness that God has. They probably looked at each other and said, how how is it that we have a cold every once in a while, a common cold, and Jesus never sneezes? (laughs) How is it? Because he's filled with all the fullness of God. How do we become filled with the fullness of God? When we know the love of Christ, when you know the love of Christ, when you are convinced and not just convinced, when you are always filled with the fullness of God's love for you, you are filled with the fullness of God. Let's keep going. Now we're going to go back to uh, Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, we'll pick up at verse 10. Now let's look at some of the pieces of furniture. Now let me point this out. I was going to wait. Let me point this out. I love this. The first piece of furniture that God mentions in the tabernacle, and I should have had a picture, is the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. Now, when you see the word ark, the first time the word ark appears in the Bible, do you know where it is? Who is famous for having an ark? Noah. Noah's ark is a picture of salvation. Are you with me? When judgment failed, the ark was a picture of salvation for him and his family. When you see the ark of the covenant, what is God trying to say? This is your salvation. This is your salvation. Now, the first piece that God mentions is the Ark of the Covenant. The very next piece God mentions is not actually in the order that the pieces of furniture appear. The Ark is the first one, but the second one God mentions is the table of showbread. Now, why is that? When you look at every piece of furniture, every piece speaks of Jesus. And I'll show you that in just a moment. Every piece speaks of Jesus. But when you see the table of showbread, it indirectly speaks of us. Very interesting. And the reason why, and I was meditating on this about two or three days ago, and I thought, God, why, why, do, why do you put the table of showbread right behind the ark? It's not in order. It's almost like God broke order for a specific reason. And I know it's not there by chance. I know you put it there for a reason. What's the reason? And when I was meditating on this, the Lord said this, because every time I see Jesus, I see you. I can't see Jesus without seeing you any more than I can see you without him. The moment I see Jesus, I see you right behind. I thought, man. So the first thing God mentions is the ark. The second thing he mentions is the table of showbread. I'll show you that in just a moment. Let's look at the ark real quick. God says, and they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length. A cubit and a half is width and a cubit and a half is height. You shall put the mercy seat. Now we fast forward from verse 10. Now real quick, you see ark of acacia wood, acacia wood. 
is actually the word, uh, in the Hebrew, it's the word shittimud. When we went to En Gedi, which is the spring of Gedi, when we went to the En Gedi where David hid from Saul, all right, if you remember that story, they have uh, trees, the shita trees are all around the way, all over the place. And as soon as we got there, our God was saying, these are shita trees, shita, and I said, wait a second, that sounds really close to a word like shittim wood. I said, wait a second, shittim, the I am on the end, it's the plural of the word shita wood. And I said, wait a second, that's what they use for the ark. And he said, you're absolutely right. Oh, man. <laughs> Score one for Matthew. Everybody else, zero. No, I'm just joking. I was like, man, they use, this is the tree they used for the tabernacle. And he said, absolutely. And he said, because this tree probably would have been all over the wilderness when they were walking to come to uh, the promised land. So they found this tree and God said, use this one. And the amazing thing about this tree, I should have had a picture, but regardless, while we were there, my mom saw the, uh, the she saw the gazelle standing on one of the trees across this little valley of, of the brook. And we all tried to get a picture of the gazelle standing on top. And while they were taking pictures, I was like, y'all got pictures? Yeah, we got pictures. So I went back and I went and tried to get real close to one of the trees. And when I was looking at the tree, the tree has thorns that come off of it. Now, thorns in the Bible always speak of what? You know, the curse. When God cursed the ground, he told Adam, he said this, the curse is this. Now thorns and thistles will come up from the ground because you sinned, right? So thorns always speak of the curse. But when we were talking to our tour guide, he said this. The interesting thing is this. Thorns, whenever a tree is trying to preserve the water so that it can preserve its own life, it, the branches literally curve up and they create a thorn. So when birds and other animals try to come and peck at it and tear the tree apart, the thorns protect it. Oh, man. <laughs> I got so excited. Then he said this. The tree itself is an incorruptible tree. I'm using that's my, my term. It's an incorruptible tree. So God said, I want you to use this tree that I put everywhere. I brought you through this wilderness on purpose right here so that you'll find the one tree on earth that is incorruptible. And when you cut it down and use it for my house, the wood will never rot or decay. Mm. Are you with me? So he says this. That's the ark. The ark is to be made of that type of wood. And it speaks of Jesus's humanity. It speaks of his humanity. And when you come to the table of showbread, even when you come to the wood that, that, that is overlaid with gold and makes the house of God. We talk a lot about the tabernacle, right? The wood overlaid with gold is also made from the same wood. God says, in my eyes, you are incorruptible. When you are overlaid with my righteousness because of what Jesus did for you, you are incorruptible. You can never rot or decay. Satan tries to make you sick. He tries to make you decay. He tries to make you poor. But let me say this in God's eyes. You are wood overlaid with gold. You are incorruptible. Even Peter said it with an incorruptible seed. Oh, man. So anyways, you see Jesus and all this? Isn't this It's beautiful. We're only on the first piece of furniture. We have so far to go. So it says this. Two and a half cubits. Uh, we skip down to verse 21. He says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubim, which are on the ark. I'm sorry, which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Now, let me show you two things on this and then we'll move from the ark. Notice he says what? There I will meet you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. Now, what is God trying to show? If this is the mercy seat, I am seated on the mercy seat. In a sense, God is saying I'm seated on the mercy seat. And because I'm seated here, notice it's called the what seat? The foundation of everything God will say to you will be rooted in mercy. Are you with me now? Now, not just everything he says to you, to them was rooted in mercy. Then he says this about everything which I give you in commandment to the children of Israel. I'll never give you a command that will be hard. Everything he says to them will be rooted in mercy. When I give them a command, it'll be a merciful command. Now, don't forget, mercy is not getting what they deserve. 
When they sin, God says, all right, I won't give you what you deserve. I'll give you a merciful command from the mercy seat. Are you with me? But watch this. Hebrews 4.16. And I've said this a lot, but man, showing you. Let us, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who I believe is the author, says this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of, not the mercy seat anymore. Come boldly to the throne of, that you may obtain mercy and find to help in time of need. What is he saying? Now, everything I say to you is rooted in when you come to me because you fail, when you come to me because you need help, when you come to me because you don't know what you're going to do, everything I say to you will be something that you haven't earned. Everything I say to you will be something that you don't deserve. Everything I give to you will be rooted in grace. And every command, like we saw in Exodus, every command will be a gracious command. You see, for me, say, well, Matthew, I need, uh, I need this. Okay, well, this is the command. Go do this and you'll get that. But that's not how grace works. Grace does not work by doing and getting. Grace works by going and receiving. So now every command God gives is cross the road over there. Well, Lord, what do I do when I get there? Just cross the road. And when you cross the road, grace says, good. Now you're positioned for something that you haven't deserved. <laughs> Amen. I shared that testimony last week and I'm walking it out by the grace of God. I'm, moving, I'm being moved into a position that I haven't deserved. And that's not by faith. That's actually has happened. So anyways, Hebrews chapter 4. Now let's go back to Exodus 25. That's the Ark of the Covenant. I'm so sorry. We're going to be here for three more hours if that's all right. <laughs> Exodus 25. So we look at the Ark. Now let's fast forward. Let's look at the table. The very next piece that's mentioned. He says, you shall also make a table of acacia wood. Now again, there's an acacia wood again. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit at half its height. We'll look at the measurement some other time. Notice he says, you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around it. Then he says this, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Now, when I see the table of showbread and I see the bread on there, I always think many times it speaks of Jesus. Let me say this. The table speaks of Jesus. Yes. Okay. You know why? Because the table is what presents the bread. Why would Jesus say he's the bread of life? You know, let me say this. On this table, there's 12 loaves of bread, not one, 12 loaves, 12 loaves speak of the 12 tribes of Israel. God is trying to show all of us. Hey, look, you are the bread that's on the table. Jesus presents you before me as unleavened bread, as, 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 a, as a child of God without any failure, without any sin. But then Jesus in John 6 says, I'm the bread of life. What is Jesus doing? You're bread. I'm bread. <laughs> Just as much as you are bread, I'm presenting you. Likewise, I am bread too. Wherever you are, that's where I am. However you present yourself before God, likewise, I present myself in the same way. But I'm not just bread. I'm the bread of life. And he who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, will live because of me. Anyways, so that's the ark. That's the table. Can we keep going? Yes. Let's keep going. Let's skip over to chapter, uh, same chapter, chapter 25, verse 31. Verse 31. God says, you shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Now notice, pure gold, no wood. And I said, we talk about the, we talk about the tabernacle a lot. Uh, the lampstand pure gold means what? Gold is all of God. No wood means none of us. Now, let me show you something beautiful. I never saw this before. In fact, I actually um, bought a DVD from Perry Stone, who, who is my God. You think I talk fast? That guy is like 500 miles an hour. Boom. You just, and if you deviate for a second, you have to rewind and go back and say, what, okay, what did he say again? Anyways. Uh, he, he talked a lot when I got his DVD on the lampstand. It's really good. But even Perry Stone didn't say this, what I'm about to show you. Oh, man. This came directly from the Lord for me. So watch this. He says a lampstand of pure gold. Now, pure gold speaks directly and uniquely of Jesus himself. Pure gold. 
The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Why hammered? Because Jesus was beaten. He was bruised. I mean, at the, come on. At the cross, the weight and the judgment all fell on him. The chastisement for our peace. I'm getting ahead of myself. All of that fell on him. He was hammered for all of us. Okay? It's shaft. It's branches. Now, notice, notice branches. When you see the word branches, what do you think of? A tree. All right? You see a tree. It's bowls. It's ornamental knobs. It's flowers. When you see flowers, what do you think of? Flowers, plants, trees, right? Now watch this. Shall be of one piece. Verse 32. And six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side. Three branches of the lampstand out of the other. Again, I put branches in gold because I want you to see. He's talking about branches, branches, flowers. He wants you to see the image of a tree. Okay? Now watch this. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch. Can you say almond? Almond. Now why is almond? Why is God saying almond? Do you know that after winter, the first tree that blossoms in Israel is the almond tree? The almond. He said, no, Matthew, what does that have to do with Jesus? Let me show you. <laughs> all trees die when winter comes, all right? In the fall, the leaves fall off. And then when the winter comes, every tree is dead. But then in springtime, the first tree that comes up, it speaks of life from death. It speaks of the firstborn among many trees that will come back to life. And the first one that comes is the almond tree. Do you know that when they were in the wilderness... Uh, Chorus stood up and said, why does Moses think that he and Aaron are safe? That they're the only ones that God can speak to. God can speak to all of us. We work in the temple too. And they said, God said, fine, let's do this. Bring the rods of all the leaders into the, my, into my house. And the next morning, the one that buds is the one that is the leader that I've chosen. Aaron's rod goes in with the other 11 tribes. And when they all bring their, their uh, all the leaders bring in their rods, the next morning, Aaron's rod has not just budded with flowers, but it also had fruit. Very interesting. Now, keep in mind, it was a rod. It was a staff. It's a piece of wood that's been cut from a tree probably decades before. That piece of wood is dead. But when God touched something that was dead, the next morning when they came back, how do we know that God's called this leader? Not only were there flowers, but there were almonds coming from this piece of dead stick. And God said, now this is how you know this is the one I've called. Now, what does it speak of? It speaks of Jesus, not his death, but it speaks of his resurrection. Are you with me? It speaks of the resurrection. So when you, and after that, God said, because I've touched it, now it's holy. Put it in the ark. He can't even carry it anymore. <laughs> All right. It's been separated unto me. How much more are you and I? We were once dead, but now we've been raised to life in him. Then God says, now put you in Christ. You can never be touched by the world again. Thank you, Jesus. So you see this almond blossoms on one branch. Almond. Why is God using the word almond? Because almond speaks of resurrection. Now, when I look at the menorah, and this that came straight from the Lord for me. Now, when I look at the menorah, I don't just see a, a lampstand. Now I see an almond tree. And notice what God says with ornamental knob and a flower, three bowls like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. There's a bunch of words. One day I'll show you the picture I should have showed you today. When you look at it and you see the flowers, the, the fruit, the almond, God is trying to say, look, this thing is beautiful, but it speaks of the resurrection. Now watch this. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with an ornamental knob and flower. Let me show you this. When we talk about the menorah, we always talk about the lampstand, right? The lampstand gives light. It's the only source of light in the holy place. Not the holy of holies, in the holy place. It's the only source of light. When you see that in the Old Testament, in fact, do I have the verse up here? In the Old Testament, no, I don't. I should have put the verse in. What happened when Jesus died? Oh, oh, I should have put the verse in. I can't believe I didn't do that. I had to have put the verse in. Where is it? It's in, I know where it's at. Do you have your Bible? Look at this. Psalm 129. 
Psalm 129. Look at this. Oh, man. Psalm 129, verse 2 and 3. Many a time, it's a prophetic psalm. And this is the song of the ascent. When you're ascending into the house of God, when you're ascending into the presence of God, they would sing the song. It says, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. It's a, it's a messianic song, a song that Jesus himself, right, from him. The plowers plowed my back. They made their furrows long. The Lord is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. In fact, now, having read that, skip over to Isaiah 53 real quick. Look at this, Isaiah 53. I can't believe I didn't put that verse in. I am so sorry. Look at this in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, look at verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. The word chastisement, the word, look at that, the word chastisement, the payment for our peace, the payment for our shalom. The payment for our shalom. And I, I, I can remember highlighting it and putting it in. I don't know where it's at. But the payment for our shalom. The payment, and keep in mind, what does shalom mean? It means wholeness, health, prosperity, protection, the payment for whatever you need from God. And not just whatever, but everything that you don't need right now that God still gives. Everything. The payment for that thing. What does it say? The chastisement for your shalom was where? Upon him. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, you were healed. When you look, when they saw that, what, what was God concealing that all of us are re- seeing revealed today? The resurrection was the payment. I'm sorry, the, the, the cross was the payment. Now what blossoms from his death, the almonds, the almond tree, the flowers, the ornamental knobs, what blossoms from his death, the fruit that comes from it is our wholeness. Now watch this. That's before the cross. They saw seven. But after the cross, what do we see? We see nine. How many gifts of the Spirit are there? I'm sorry. Nine. Nine gifts of the Spirit, nine fruits of the Spirit. Now we see nine. Yes, all of that was for us to see. But now on this side of the cross, we see nine. We see two gifts of the Spirit that they didn't see before. We see the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues put on. Before they had seven branches, now we have nine branches. But when you see the almond branch, when you see the almonds, you see the flowers, you see all of that, what gives light is the finished work of Jesus. And what gives light is the fruit of what he's done for all of us. This, I'm telling you, this thing gives light in the tabernacle. It gives light. What does God want? How does God want you to give light in a dark world? He wants your health to shine. He wants your prosperity. And can we say that? He wants you to be so, let's just say this. He wants you to be so wealthy that you shine. He wants the fruit of the cross to make you shine. And all of you are shining in the name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Let's keep going. Okay, I'm done with this. We'll finish with the altar. Like I said, I had so much. Oh, man. He was up there for 40 days. I have so much more I can share, but I'm going to, oh, we'll bring this to a close with this. And next Sunday, we have a guest speaker. I'm winking. (laughs) Exodus 27. Exodus 27, now we'll pick up at verse 1. Exodus 27, now again, in the same 40-day period, all of a sudden God 
He's, he's talking more about the tabernacle. We're skipping some pieces. He talks about the high priest. We're skipping more details. But then we come to this. In Exodus 27, God says, you shall make an altar of acacia wood. There's that word again. Acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, five and five. Now, let me say this. All the dimensions of the entire tabernacle are divisible by five. And that number five is so cool because it represents what? Grace. Every dimension speaks of the grace of God. When you come to this, the altar itself must be a square and it must be five by five. Now, why does God want a square altar five by five? Because even the cross itself, God wants you to see every way you look at it. You always see my grace. Every way you look at it. He did not suffer for his own sin because he had none. He suffered for the sins of someone else. Then you see right here, you shall make its horns on its four corners. Horns always speak of authority. Really interesting. They always speak of authority. But on the four corners, it shall be horns, shall be one piece of it. And you shall overlay it with bronze. Now watch this, four corners. Whichever way you come to it, you can always reach and grab the horn of the altar. And if someone is chasing you, they can't hurt you anymore. Are you with me? No matter who's chasing you, if you when you grab the horns of the altar, they can't hurt you anymore. He says, don't put a horn on one side, put it on all corners. So no matter where you come from, if you reach out and touch it, you'll always be saved. And then he says, you overlay it with bronze. Now, why bronze? Because bronze speaks of judgment. Never look at the cross and say, oh, look out, look at the righteousness. No, 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 no. Look at the cross and see the judgment. When they were in the wilderness, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When they were in the wilderness, God said, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. Why not gold? Because God doesn't want you to see the beauty. He wants you to see the ugliness, our ugliness there at the cross. See your ugliness and see my punishment on Jesus. Don't see the beauty of Jesus there. See the ugliness of Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, when the prophets talked about him, I believe it's Isaiah, he said this, even the form of a man had been taken from him. When they looked at the cross, they couldn't even tell it was a man. That's how ugly it was at the cross. Don't see the beauty of Christ. See the ugliness of our failure on him there. And all who look will live. Now watch this. Overlay with bronze. See the judgment. Verse 3, also you shall make its pans and receive its ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of... But notice the word ashes is here. Now, let me close with this. All right. Notice the ashes. God cares about the ashes. You know, we used to make a fire when we were kids at our house. Um, whenever we make a fire, you always, you know, you burn as much wood as you can. But then when the ashes build up over time, you have to get the ashes and take them out. Because ashes don't burn anymore. Right. Now, what do ashes represent? What do they speak of in the Bible? And I had to do some research on this. I had to study it out for myself. But when you look at ashes, ashes give testimony to something having been burnt. Are you with me? Ashes are the proof that there was once life, but that life has now died. Are you with me? But God cares even about the ashes. Look at this in Numbers chapter 19. God is talking about when they would burn a sacrifice on the altar. He says this. He says, Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. Now watch this. God says every time you make a sacrifice at the end of the day, when the sacrifice is finished, all the sacrifices, I want you to collect the ashes and store them and put them in a clean place outside the camp. Not inside the camp, outside the camp. Now, again, when I was meditating on this, I believe the Lord gave me this for me personally, but for all of us as well. Outside the camp doesn't speak of someone who's inside the the camp. I know that was a deep revelation, right? (laughs) Wow, he goes deep on Sundays. All right. When he speaks outside the camp, what does it mean? You know who's put outside the camp? Lepers. 
people who are maimed, people who are missing, people who are broken, uh, rebellious people. When the prodigal son left, if he wasn't stoned, he should have been kicked out. All right. Sinners are outside the camp. Sinners are outside the camp. But look, people who sin, who are kicked out of the camp. All right. Not even sinners. Lepros, leprosy represents sin. They are to be kicked out, which means they first started here, but now they're out. But if they want to be brought back in. How are they brought back in? God says, I can't bring them back in because they might pollute everyone else. So what I'll do is I'll take the ashes from the sacrifice, store them in a safe place outside the camp. No matter how far you go, you don't have to work your way back in and deal with the weight and the pressure of everyone else looking at you and judging you. You used to be a leper. You used to do this. You used to do that. Look at all the mistakes you made. Look at, look at what you've done. They try to give all their guilt and their condemnation on you before you can get back to God. And God says, I'm not going to make you have to go through all of that to get to me. I'll put the ashes in a safe place and I'll put it outside the camp. So whenever you're ready, you can say, I'm ready to be purified. And he says, great. They take the ashes. They mix it with water. You know what water speaks of? The Holy Spirit. I'll mix it with water. Then we'll pour the water over you. And now you've been purified from the sin. When you come back into the camp, no one can judge you for what's happened because you've been purified by the ashes of the sacrifice. God cares about the ashes. (laughs) Now watch this. Water speaks of the Holy Spirit. I'll close with this. Look up here. John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is speaking. He says, and when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me. Have you been convicted of that sin? Yes, we've all been. That's why we're here this morning. Hey, Jesus, the Savior, Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit convicted you of sin. Number 10, of righteousness. Why? Because I go to my father and you see me no more. There was clearly something about Jesus that when John would stumble, when John would fail, uh, or Matthew, because he was the greatest, right? He didn't fail a lot. But when Peter would fail, all right, when, when, when Peter would fail, when he would say too much, Jesus was always present to show him, not just tell him, but to show him, you are still right with me. You're still good. You can still follow me, Peter. You're still one with the group. I mean, what, Jesus, his presence, let them all know, no matter how much you sin, you are still righteous. But now Jesus is gone. So he's saying, hey, look, when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come and he'll do that same job. He'll convict everyone of sin so they'll believe. Once they believe, no more conviction of sin. Now, what does he convict you of? Righteousness. Righteousness. Why? Because I'm not here to do it. I'm going to my father. You'll see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. And then what? Verse 13. However, when the Holy Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, real quick, before we finish this, water mixed with ashes means what? The Holy Spirit and the finished work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always telling you, no matter how far we go, he's always telling you. He's always telling your children. He's telling your family members, your friends. I believe I'm part of a generation that just kind of got scattered. But even like the Lord promised in Jeremiah, he's bringing new shepherds that will find all the sheep who've been scattered and he'll bring all of them back in because they should never have been kicked out the camp in the first place. But that's neither here nor there. I believe as he brings them in, the Holy Spirit mixed with the, the ashes, the water mixed with the ashes. It's the Holy Spirit saying to them, you are still righteous. You are still righteous. You are still righteous. And now they're beginning to find their way back into the camp. You are still righteous. Notice what he says. When the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you of things to come. How does he do it? By telling you, you are righteous. Once you are convinced I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Then he can begin to tell you what's coming next. He can, be, he can begin to guide you into all truth. He can begin to say, okay, look, 
This is where you need to go. Don't turn left. Don't turn right. In Revelation, John hears a voice from behind. Don't turn left. Don't turn right. <laughs> he tells you where to go because the Holy Spirit is now convicting you of righteousness. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Oh, man. So we're going to end our seeing Jesus peace with this. There's so many more days to talk about, so much more to show you and share. We'll share it some other time. But I could just imagine again, and I, I, I was like, what do we call this? And so we just put beginning with Moses. Because in Luke 24, it says what? Beginning with Moses, he went through all the things concerning himself. And keep in mind, God conceals this for our glory. Have you been blessed? Yes. Do you love seeing Jesus, right? Yes. I love seeing Jesus. And you know what? At, at the risk of sounding corny and too happy and too fruity, let me say this. I love seeing Jesus. Right? I love seeing it. And it's not just to see, okay, that was cool out there. No, no, no. How does it apply to me? Whatever I see in him, he transforms me into. And everyone said? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus. Yes. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the ability to see your word. Not just through eyes, but not just with our own physical eyes, but to see your word through the discernment that you've given us. With the help of the Holy Spirit to unveil Christ through these passages. And Father, I thank you for the gift of being able to sit down, see you, and let you transform all of us in this room. So Father, this morning, whatever attack has been um, leveled against anyone in this church, anyone in myself included, Father, we cancel that attack in the name of Jesus. As Jesus has been separated, even as Aaron's staff has been separated unto you, likewise, we have been separated unto you. And that attack has to get through you before it can get to us. And we thank you. Nothing can penetrate you. So, Father, whatever attack has been um, set up against anyone in here, we cancel it in the name of Jesus. And, Father, whatever, uh, whatever lying or lying symptoms the enemy is trying to put on anyone, we know the doctors have a report. But, again, we declare we believe your report. Yeah. We declare, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. And Father, I thank you that the wealth, and I speak this over everyone in here, that the wealth and the prosperity that you have, you took our poverty that we might receive the fullness of your wealth and your riches. So this morning, we receive it this morning. We declare that the blessing of Abraham rests on us. We belong to you. And I thank you this morning as the menorah is shining. Likewise, the fruit of your cross is shining on everyone in here. We are shining in a dark world with all that you have done for us. And we thank you for it this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Well, I love you. I'm going to bless you. Did I miss anything? Oh, we did. Yeah, we did after our communion. Um, I think that's it then. Can you stand to your feet and lift your hands? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. May the Lord bless you in your going out and in your coming in. May the Lord bless you this week. May the Lord continue to open doors of opportunity for you and for your business, for your families. May the Lord continue to bless you and cause you to shine with his glory this week. May the Lord keep you and your family always at the right place at the right time. May the Lord keep everything that he has committed into your hands. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and may you enjoy his peace, his wholeness, his shalom peace this week. In Jesus name, everyone said, Amen. amen. I love you. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. 
If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte@gmail.com, at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.